This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's Politics Podcast. This has been a week dominated by talk of the immigration figures. People were expecting net migration of 700,000. It came in at a bit below that, 600,000, but still pretty far away from a tens of thousands figure that David Cameron spent so long promising when he was Prime Minister. The minister at the time was Damien Green. He joins us now, as does James Kirkup, who runs the Social Market Foundation. Now, Damien, you must be the most successful immigration minister in recent Tory history because you actually did get the net number down. So what, what, what went right? What was your secret? This was in the era of free movement as well, so it was difficult to really do anything about EU migration. We, we did bring it down, and, and among the... I mean, we did various things. I mean, sort out, to some extent, the asylum system so that actually we could make sure that people got their decision one way or the other quickly. But more importantly, was finding the big loopholes and and they change over time. And the big one for us was bogus colleges, if you remember them, language colleges uh, that were set up ostensibly to teach English, which were basically a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were an immigration scam. And we just insisted that they had a proper uh, verification by Ofsted. And as soon as we started doing that, most of them closed and the immigration figures started coming down. So uh, it, you know, that, that therefore is a problem gone. What you know, that this is a game of whack-a-mole, that there will be different issues and that as soon as you open an immigration route or have a new type of visa, somebody somewhere will try and exploit it. And in a few years' time, you'll discover far more people are coming in on that route than you predicted. And often you turn over the stone and find that a lot of them probably shouldn't be here. Um, and, and James Kirkup, you were a former political editor of the Telegraph, my former deputy as Scotsman, actually, as well, the illustrious CV you've had. But why is it now that after 50, I don't know how long people have been talking about we need to get migration down, and yet here we are at pretty much twice the level it was during the Brexit debate. So what's happened? Well, I mean, ultimately, what's happened is that uh, after that referendum, um, where Britain, to coin a phrase, took back control, Politicians who are in office, in government, have decided to use the control that resides with them to operate a fairly open and liberal immigration policy for a number of individual and often chained reasons. There's no single, I think, determination at the heart of government to say, you know, what we want is 600,000 people net, net entry. You decompose that big headline figure. You look at Ukraine, you look at Hong Kong British nationals, you look at the state of the NHS, which has to import a, a significant number number of, of, of overseas workers, you look at, you go sector by sector, you look at our labour shortages. Essentially, you know, migration policy has responded to a number of interlinked crises, uh, but we end up with a you know, this, this, this ongoing political pain over the subject because you know, not many of the people in office have decided to spend any time explaining those choices to the public. What they've done instead is say, yeah, you're right, migration, big problem, that somebody should do something about it, and then gone back to their offices and not done anything about it. 
So, Damien, talk to us about the political incentives. I mean, obviously, if you're the migration minister, you're working for a prime minister who wants to get migration down, your job is to do everything you can to reduce those figures. I remember at the time the Conservative conference would have banners boasting about immigration down. It was a big political um, sell. And I think at the time of the 2015 election, the Tories were significantly ahead of Labour on migration policy. They're not anymore. But, but when you're in government, I imagine and you're looking at other departments, none of them really have got much of an incentive. If you have a Department of Health, for example, you're facing a, a staffing crisis usually. The NHS is always short of people. Now, there's two ways of doing that. One is training more people domestically. That can take a long time. I think I read somewhere it's going to take, yeah, it would cost a billion pounds a year to move to train um, 15,000 rather than 10,000 doctors a year. The health secretary will want to import people to fill that problem. If you're the university's minister, you don't want to charge British students that much, but you don't mind charging a foreign student £35 a year. I think the, uh, the London School of Economics goes up to six or £70,000 a year. If you're the Chancellor of the Exchequer, you want to grow the GDP. So immigration tends to do that. Maybe not per capita, but it does grow the GDP. So you're looking around Whitehall, and it's not really within the direct interest of many, if any, other government departments to cut migration. Well, if anything, you understate the, the position and the institutional pressures, because not only is, is it not in their interest to cut migration, whatever the overall government policy is, it's actively in their interest to increase it. And David Cameron observed that uh, in his government, the only three people he could identify who actively wanted to bring the immigration numbers down were him, Theresa May as Home Secretary, and me as Immigration Minister. And, and, And that's what it felt like as well. So those institutional pressures are always there. And it's a, a symptom of the wider problem of people thinking in silos that, you know, if you're the health secretary, obviously you care about the health service. And if it's the easiest and cheapest way to staff up the health service is, is to bring in loads of people from abroad, then the fact that that blows a coach and horses through the government's immigration policy is not necessarily your problem and ditto with the university's minister. So it does require direction from the top and clarity. I mean, we had the famous tens of thousands target. And interestingly, although we never hit it, the fact that, that this was a government that was clearly trying to bear down on inflation, um, on immigration and having some success gave us the political credit. As you said, in 2015, I think we were something like 36 points ahead of Labour uh, in, on the, uh, the polling on immigration. And as you say, the government at the moment is behind, which is which is terrifying because we know that Labour essentially at its core wants to n- not control immigration very much, if at all. So I think it, it does require, if the government is serious about bringing the numbers down from net 600,000, which has all the disadvantages of the pressures on infrastructure. So it, it may be good short term for the health service. It may be good short term for the university sector. But unless you're going to build all the houses and and the roads and provide the GPs and the school places and everything to cope with, with this very quick increase in population, then in the end, you're probably creating more human misery than happiness with that kind of level of immigration. And Damien, you had in David Cameron, a prime minister who was reasonably well known for his tens of thousands targets. That was a target which basically came out from memory on, on them, a, t- a television sofa one morning. It wasn't a big, it's a great Tory policy document, but there it was. Tens of thousands means under 100,000. So in a way, his credibility 
as a prime minister was on the line here. But ever since he left as prime minister, I don't think the Conservatives have ever stated a target since. I think Suella Braverman has said that she would like to get down to tens of thousands. But other than that, I think I'm right in saying that the Conservatives have no real targets. So if David Cameron's target was the only thing helping you as immigration minister pulling it down, when you remove that target then is there a risk that the sheer inertia, as you say, the vested interests of other government departments, all collectively conspire to push it up? Yes, but I mean, you can, I mean, you don't need an explicit target to have enough central pressure to bring it down. I, I often think, nostalgically, going back a very long way, of um, Geoffrey Howes, uh, in, in the era of monetarism, said that what he wanted to do was put steady but not excessive downward pressure on the monetary aggregates. And, and I often thought that that, that phrase, it, it, it's a lot less vivid than tens of thousands. Um, yeah, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a slogan for a, for a poster if ever there was. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 I'm afraid it's, uh, it, it shows how many words we could cope with in a slogan in the 1980s that we can no longer cope with. But steady but not excessive downward pressure on the immigration numbers would appear to me to be a very sensible target for a Conservative government to go for. James, I wonder if there is any sort of pressure, either steady or excessive or, or otherwise, being applied to the numbers right now. I mean, Boris Johnson abolished the tens of thousands target. Rishi Sunak hasn't given any target. He said he wants it to come down. But that was the position in the 2019 manifesto. And again, I'm trying to put myself in Rishi Sunak's um, position. You, He would look around and he will basically see, you know, if the NHS needs to hire people, He's got a general election next year. He is in the market for some short-term solutions. And immigration, surely, is a very effective short-term solution. I was looking at the number of health visas right now. We're giving 600 a day. 600 a day. I mean, we often, in, in, in the immigration conversation, talk about the restrictions that the immigration system can put on the on entry. Really, we talk about restricting supply of of of, of immigrant labor if you like we don't spend anywhere near enough time talking about demand now i i'm, I'm pretty relaxed about immigration I'm, you know, but actually lots of things damien was talking about yeah i think are perfectly legitimate and good you know, good things to try and do i think the uk generating more of its own healthcare professionals would be a good thing i think fixing the he funding mechanism so that Universities are not dependent on importing so many uh, students to whom they frankly overcharge. I, you know, I think you know, I think social care. It would be great if so if social care wages were higher. That we 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 weren't running a social care system dependent on very low wage, often uh, often migrant workers. But I think you know, fix those things, and then you address demand for you know, for 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 immigration. But we don't often talk about the demand, the pull factors. We talk about the supply and how and what we just just do in the short term to, to restrict supply. So, uh, and I think that would. I mean, my you know, my friendly advice to my friends, you know, your friends, your friends and colleagues who who are who are much less relaxed than I am about uh, about immigration is talk more about addressing those those pull factors and less about you know, what you can do through 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 restricting entry. But Damien, if we were to reduce the pool factors now, we're basically talking about welfare reform, aren't we? I mean, under David Cameron, it was moving people from unemployment benefits to back into work. Now the challenge is moving people from sickness benefits back into work. But it, David Cameron had a good old crack at that five-year policy. And um, with an election this time next year, I imagine that realistically, politically, there isn't much time really 
to address the demand factor, in other words, by trying to do welfare reform that will move some of these 5 million back into work. I mean, welfare reform is incredibly difficult. It takes an incredible amount of time. It's fraught with political danger, because if you get it wrong, you can be accused of, of being mean to the people at the very bottom. Surely the realpolitik is that there's not time to address that pool factor in the form of welfare reform in the short time the Tories have got left in this parliament. But I think it's worth doing anyway. First of all, because it's worth doing. It's, it, it's good policy. And we do now have, as, as you've pointed out in, in, in many articles, that millions of people who are not on the unemployment numbers, but who are not at work and of working age, a, a significant chunk of whom I think would prefer to be in work. So if you're using welfare reform as code for cutting benefits. I, d- I don't think, with, with many of those, that's the issue. The issue is a combination of equipping them with the ability to go to work and, equally importantly, educating employers into taking them. We, we did have some success some years ago with the Disability Confident campaign, which basically told employers, look at, look at the skills that this person has, not at the fact they may be in a wheelchair or whatever. And yeah, we will have to do that with, with employers again on, on a more wider scale. We've seen the increase in people with mental health problems since the pandemic. So I think there is a pool of, of labour there, potential labour, which could meet the point where, and I absolutely agree with James, that dealing with, with demand is, is at least as important as dealing with supply. And you would have some, I think, effects in the short term. And in any case, I, I suspect that the special factors like Ukraine and Hong Kong and so on that we've seen in these figures will mean that sitting here today, it will be quite surprising if next year's uh, immigration numbers are not coming down anyway, which will relieve some of the political pressure. So I would strongly urge the government to do the, the the creation and or training of potential new UK workers because it will have some, though I agree, not very significant effect in the short term, but it will have a huge effect in the long term and take immigration out of the front line of politics, which must be the long term aim. Right. But Damien, also, can you remind us what the political atmosphere was like when you were immigration minister? Because you had UKIP posing more of a threat than they do right now. They barely exist now. But when you were, um, were in your job, you did have UKIP menacing the Tories and local governments and threatening to shave perhaps a decisive amount from various Tories majorities. So there was a party political pressure to cut to... In terms of, like, if you didn't curb immigration, you had good reason to fear for your seat if you're a Tory MP. And that that had to be the factor. Yes, it was. I mean, UKIP and nastier parties, the BNP, and, and in the, the Blair Brown years when immigration was increasing very fast, you remember that they were getting lots of seats on Barking Council and so on. And uh, you know, Margaret Hodge did, did heroic work in, in removing them. Uh, yeah, they got they got, got a million votes in the European election. I remember, two thousand and nine. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, and the pressure was. I mean, that was why David Cameron may be shadow immigration minister. That um, he wanted quite a tough policy, but he was very conscious that as part of the modernisation program of the Tory Party, the Tory Party couldn't be seen to be uh, intolerant and and all the other things you can be when you start talking about immigration. So he wanted it expressed by a one-nation moderate conservative. So I fitted the bill for that. But yeah, the the political pressures were that 
immigration was a genuine issue. Some people tried to argue it was sort of invented by the Tory press, and it really wasn't, that, that there were communities that did feel that you know, change was happening too fast, to put it as politely as possible, and that they couldn't cope with it and didn't want to cope with it, and were prepared to flirt with pretty nasty extremist politicians uh, as a way of protesting. And actually, that's why I say getting immigration out of the political front line is extremely good for politics and society, as well as good for a Conservative government. Although we, we, we do have to, I mean, I guess, consider public opinion has shifted quite a long way in, the, in that decade or so. And if you look at the long term trend, Britain has become much more relaxed about immigration over that decade. It sort of started. It started after about 2013, 2014. We've been getting more relaxed. And I was just looking at some, 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 some quite, from my point of view, quite entertaining research by uh, Eric Kaufman, who's a uh, an academic who researches this, and I you know, would very much, I think, be on the restrictionist side of the debate. Now, he he did some work, some some opinion research this week, last week, with Tory, 2019 Tory Leave voters. And he, what he found was that the majority, the great majority, about sixty percent of them, did not know that immigration numbers have uh, have, uh, have increased so much in the last few years. Uh, so they're concerned about immigration, but they actually didn't know until they were told that immigration was going up. So I think we need to be careful of this idea that people are feeling a direct personal impact on their everyday lives from immigration. Mostly, it's something they hear, they're currently hearing about somewhere happening somewhere else. It's sort of affecting the what the academics call their imagined community rather than changing their day-to-day lives. James and Damien, thank you very much indeed for joining me on this special edition of Coffee House Shots.